Welcome to Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a transformational life coach, comedian, and mother of two. And you can join me weekly to hear some intimate self-reflections and conversations with inspirational friends and guests from all around the world, sharing what they needed to break free from in order to live a life of purpose. I'm so excited to be chatting to Josephine Reynolds on today's episode of Breaking Free. In 1982, there was no such thing as a woman firefighter till Jo came along at the age of 17 to change that. Her book, Firewoman, gives a unique insight into the camaraderie that comes with risking your life on a daily basis and stands as the inspiring true story of an extraordinary young woman who took on a man's world and won, becoming Britain's first full-time female firefighter. So I'd like to welcome you, Joe. I'll call you Joe. I know you prefer that. Thank you, Rania. Thank you for having me. I love that it seems like you were destined to be a firefighter because you were born in March 1965 and you're a fire sign. Yes, that's right. And Aries. Yeah. And when you were 12 and living in Wales, you wrote that your home burnt down and you were transfixed by the silent superheroes that put the fire out. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and how maybe it led you to becoming a firefighter? Yeah, I think anyone who goes through anything like a house fire, it yeah, it, it has a huge effect on them. Different people will, you know, get different things from it. And for me, it was very much about watching those people helping us, you know, helping to save what they could of what was left and, and um, try to prevent as much of our house turning into ashes as possible. And they just came along from the middle, in the middle of the night, they turn up and there they are. Yeah, and I think it stuck with me and I hadn't realised how much it had meant to me until I started to write the book, to be honest. And then I was like, yes, actually, somebody's like, talking to me from my childhood and I was like yeah my house burnt down they're like well you should (laughs) I should go in your book it's like of course so that was like kind of almost accidental start to the book um you know I was 12 years old when my house burned down but yeah it had kind of stayed with me all that time (laughs) and from a younger age you were not impressed that tasks and jobs were given out according to what gender you are. So already you had that kind of mindset and you're like, why do boys get to do, you know, wood and metal work and we have to do cooking and sewing? That makes so much sense that you ended up being the first woman to become a firefighter. Yeah, I think it's just in your character, isn't it? You know, you don't, it's not something you can force yourself into being it's not I thought I'm going I'm going to be like a young feminist I just thought there's no way I'm Mm. making cakes (laughs) I hate that sort of stuff (laughs) and sewing I'm the same now (laughs) yeah so I'll do anything rather than make cakes and it ended up being like woodwork (laughs) and then you also had like a diary entry in 1979 um, I like that you've kept your diaries, obviously. I've got my diaries as well from like when I was 17. Oh. Um, it's really special because when you look back, you can see parts of your yeah. personality that were already there, you know, that um, yes. started so early. So you'd written, heard Pink Floyd's <laughs> Another Brick in the Wall tonight. It blew my mind. Anarchy is coming. Were you a bit of a rebel? Absolutely. <laughs> that was like, I was, I was under... Um, had my head under the covers every night listening to the little radio and yeah John Peel and all the punk stuff but that one another brick in the wall I was like 
this is it I'm transformed as a person mm. and a punk as well <laughs> and you lived in Wales before you moved to Norwich as a teenager so um, yes. how shocking was it that you're walking around in PVC black trousers kissing boys age 14 you know were you one of a kind there I was a bit but funny enough um, that I, I'd, I don't know how it happens I was waitressing in a little um, cafe in Pembrokeshire through my school holidays one of many jobs I did to kind of earn money I was like I want to buy a car when I'm 17 so I was saving up already but in mm. I can't work out how but I met a lad called Robin and his father was uh, an undertaker and he had a punk band back in yeah. Pembrokeshire like a little tiny punk band and they used to rehearse in you know in the undertaker's um, place where they used to make the coffins <laughs> this giant shed so yeah there was only there were a few of us not many but a few tell us how you found out about joining the service well I'd I'd, um, left my mum in Wales because she's a very controlling lady and I like to be completely independent (laughs) I hate answering Mm -hmm. to anyone so I moved up to dad's and uh, started I'd, I'd looked at all the things like the police cadets because I thought I can leave home at 16, 17, join the cadets somehow, somewhere. They were all full. So I thought, what am I going to do? I moved up to Norwich and waitressed and then saw this advert, junior firefighters wanted. And unbeknown to me, it was the first time Norfolk Fire Service had done, you know, run that course. And it was also the first time they'd opened up the uh, space for women to join. Yes, I was like completely unwitting in all of this. I was just like, I just want to have a job that I can earn enough money to be able to live independently from my family. And that's what happened, really. But it's your mindset that didn't say to you, Joe, they must mean they're looking for boys. You know, what are you thinking? (laughs) You you just kind of thought, oh, they're looking for firefighters. (laughs) You didn't question whether they had female ones ever or not. No, I I didn't even know. It It wasn't until I started training and all the press turned up. It's like, oh, no. So so you're the trailblazer. It's like, oh, I didn't know. And I had no intention. Well, what about when you turned up and you were the only girl among 50 boys? I know, that was, that was a funny junior, all these tests and training. Um, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we, um, we, it was, it was like all through the tests, I just kept thinking, I can't let these guys go back to have their next tea break or lunch break and say, did you see that girl? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, <laughs> F you, I'm going to just yeah. do my best, you know. And kind of brave it out and that yeah so yeah that's that was my motivation really it's very much the job was a sort of a, an aside the job could have been any job really it's more a case of proving to them that I could do it <laughs> mm. and you said it was thrilling and horrible and I can totally see that reading the book what a mixture it is of like euphoric wonderful moments yeah. and camaraderie but some horrible really intense and painful ones yeah absolutely that's that kind of life of firefighting you know firefighting and rescue even mm. today you know i look at um video this week of the girls in um in the states in miami one of them was leading the search rescue team and she she spent all that time you know recovering uh, bodies and it's harsh I mean we didn't have anything mm. like that but it's it you know that's kind of you're you're trained to do it but equally you're still human and you know you, yeah. you never know what's coming around the corner
And I think when you hear firefighter, you always think it's putting out fires full stop, but it isn't. It's so much more than that. You're saving people from all sorts of things, aren't you? Drowning, (laughs) stuck in trees, you know, all sorts of things. Everything possible under the sun that you can imagine. I think even the interviewing stage was terrifying. You hadn't even started the training and... I really felt felt for you in the interview when you were asked, why should we invest yes, our time and money yes, in you right. when later on in life you might have different priorities? So yet again, you were being treated and judged and asked differently because they're assuming that you would be baking Having cakes babies, and popping absolutely. out babies. I know, yeah. I know. And I didn't know, I, you know, when you say, somebody asked you, ask you a question like that, you, it's like you're flawed. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Yeah. What on earth do I say? <laughs> Just give me a job. <laughs> but <laughs> but good for you. You gave a really good answer. Yeah, by chance, actually, but completely by chance. But they, they had like yeah. kind of kept on talking about the fact, you know, how could they be sure that I would be safe for the men to be around and, you know, not a danger and da 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 yeah. So what did you say to them? Just that, that, just that, you know, if you train me properly, don't think any of it should be a problem. Yeah. And I didn't know the answer, you know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, that is such a mature answer. You know, rather than them dump the responsibility on you at 17, you were able to turn it around and say, well, if you do your exactly. job responsibly and train me properly. <laughs> so it's 1982, you're 17 and you're the only girl. Um, you're left out of all that testosterone charge chit chat you're a weak swimmer you feel you have less physical strength at the start compared to the boys and the training is really testing your limits and taking a toll on your self-esteem as well and you thought about quitting so how did you stick I think just um, good people around me like saying to me you know also I think the thing to remember is at the time it's a really really tough training for anyone whether you're a boy or a girl so it's really difficult to get into that job so we had a huge advantage by having 15 months of training so we could get fit and strong or I could you know so by the time we're about halfway through I think and you're starting to feel like you're a bit like Superman but certainly about three quarters of the way through yeah but of course you have wobbles and you think oh my god you know especially sometimes you would go out somewhere and they'd sort of people be like oh you're just a publicity stunt you know so you kind of you know have to keep really kind of mentally keep that kind of attitude where you don't let them kind of get to you too much what was the training like for those who haven't read the book uh, you know I mean to me everything sounded like absolute hell (laughs) from running to dangling upside down ladders to the hose I mean the whole lot I think it felt endless because we were young or I was young as well. Uh, but um, there were things like the whole hanging upside down from the ladders. That's a fun bit, to be honest. For you. The only bit I really hated was <laughs> run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Crawling around in dark spaces. But it was actually more, it was just like, a, it was has an air of, of adventure as well as like being tough. But the things like just that once I'd got my physical strength up, so I was able to do it much more easily. But, you know, they have those pumps, they call them like portable mm. pumps. And they are like really just car engines and you're kind of hauling those around. <laughs> and the dummies, 12 stone dummies, like it, it when so you get used to it all and you just become kind of really good at being able to use any piece of equipment any which way with less people 
you know, with like your hands tied behind your back and blindfolded so that you end up being, you do end up being a bit of a superhero, to be mm. honest, by the end of your training. What was the hardest thing for you? Oh, gosh. In training or in actual emergencies like that stuck with you? I think things you learn to do in... You, you you always part of a team that's the thing so you're never mm. on your own really so it's, it's always it's always part being part of a team so you, you never never really exposed to anything that you can't cope with oh, that's, that's the truth nice. all. so and you trained really well we were trained yeah. really well yeah um, really well what was the mickey mouse shuffle <laughs> explain that <laughs> is that what you called it yeah, that's that an, actual when you, name? Yeah, Mickey Mouse Shuffle. That was the in-breathing apparatus training. So that's when they have the uh, cylinders on their backs mm -hmm. and the masks over their faces. And you go into a room and it's completely pitch dark and you've got no uh, sound. You can't see or hear or anything. So it's pitch black. Um, and then they'll, they'll you're, so you're there in a room and you can't see, you don't know what's going on. So you end up learning to move around a room without endangering yourself or your co-firefighter your fellow firefighter and you tend to do it with the right hand mm -hmm. of your hand the back of your hand against a wall and you go up and down with that keeping constant um, if you have your hand uh, the other way around you can actually end up grabbing electrical wires and things like that so you might get electrocuted and then your feet is like a shuffle so yeah you just make sure that you never leave the floor really so you know where you are as in, you know, you, you're physically yeah. safe all the time. So, I mean, it's hard enough saving someone or going through a fire, but to actually wear all the heavy gear that you have to wear and the boots and and the mask and not being able to breathe, you know, normally must add a lot of pressure on. I know you say you get used to it, but... You do, yeah, we were, tra I mean, we trained so much. We trained everywhere, like in grain silos and ships holds, <laughs> under hospitals and every which way. So in the end, it is part of your, it's almost second yeah. nature to, you know, get kitted up and off you go. It really is. It so really yeah, is. tell us more about the drills because they sound like the fun part where you know it's not real, but you you get to do all the exciting stuff don't it's you the other way around i think because um with a drill it's like someone's an instructor's there and they're going to tell you what to do but on a, on an actual real job you don't know what's coming right. next you know you never know what it's going to be so your adrenaline is up so much more than that you know the drills can be a bit like mm. laborious and you start thinking oh god you're drilling you know you've got to do it but you so that's but, why yeah, you're all so like eager in a different. way for a real emergency to get on with it mm. yes that's right yes you know you don't know what you're going out to but mostly you're there to help people every now and then something will happen that you couldn't help and yeah it's out of your control yeah. completely but most of the time yeah so actually we had quite a few because Thetford had so many bad roads so so dangerous so we had a load of road accidents all the time and you know, that's chance whether you get there mm. in time. And um, you were good at knots. What do you need unknotting for? <laughs> What's the knotting about? Oh, yeah. Everything's tied. Everything is it's all about <laughs> knots and lines. Yeah. <laughs> you had to be able to tie anything anywhere. Uh, a lot of the time you're moving the equipment around using um, lines. So if you're up in a building and you want to uh, get something uh, to, to the top where you are, 
you can just drop a, a like a they call it a line a rope mm. out of a window and it'll come down you can tie the bit on and then haul it up and were there any funny moments always that you know something unusual happened or it was a really hilarious situation actually most days were really very funny um <laughs> yeah we that sometimes we would uh, go to particularly pets you know cats up trees we had a monkey i think that what that's in the book the monkey that escaped from Kilverston Zoo. It's a South American ape, and it, there were two of them. One didn't make it across the main road, but one did. Yeah, so we ended up chasing it around town, and <laughs> they, we couldn't catch it. And in the end, it ends up on the church roof. So we put all these ladders up, and Nigel's like, "Joe, you, you go." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nigel. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we got her, we got her down into her net, into keeper net, which is quite wow. something without being bitten and how did they yeah. decide that that's a firefighter job not a police oh anything like that used to be very much any rescues any animal rescue we always go into like animals upside down in ditches or stuck somewhere mm. yeah <laughs> and you know people stuck in elevators as well is a thing isn't it yeah everyone's stuck everywhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah rescue rescue yeah, rescue. it must feel like a really superhero-y job i think it's only when other people like talk about it in that way but when you're just doing it day in day mm. out you know it's just not it's just your job really it's just um i think a lot of the time you think gosh i'm, I'm really lucky to have a job like this because it's so different to everyone yeah else's. yeah <laughs> a lot of action and it kind of yeah and it kind of satisfies your like need for change and being part of a wonderful team mm. and uh, yeah kind of being challenged as well but also having so much fun yeah we used to have these massive firework displays at Thetford and yeah, that was in the kind of days before health and safety yeah, took place that and, ruined everything so were, oh, <laughs> yes exactly damn. yeah dang yeah there was always something going on so how did it go from you feeling left out with the boys to you being one of the lads yeah, I think that happened as as my training progressed. Mm. And I think they started to see that I could really, you know, do it. Um, the boys I, I trained with were better. Some of the people who were on the watches around um, Norfolk, kind of, some of them kind of gave me a bit of a look or a, a mutter. And, but generally the boys were pretty good. Mm. And then, yeah, when I got to... Um, when you get towards passing out, you know, by you know when you know you can do your job really well. It's like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I can do it. I am strong enough. I've kind of proved to everyone, including myself, that I have got whatever it takes to, you know, do this job yeah. so far. And touch wood. Yeah. So it was their respect when you proved yourself to not sort of Yeah, that means so much actually, doesn't it, when you get your kind of peers respect. Mm. So did they stop having the lad chit-chats? I mean, did they even notice that the way they were talking didn't include you? <laughs> no, I think that's just so natural for people, yeah. isn't it? You, it's like, you know, it's not deliberate and it's never meant to be offensive, but it's just very just different characters. Yeah. And they weren't even changing rooms for you or anything because they just no, weren't prepared, were right. they, for a woman firefighter? That was so funny. We had a curtain in the, <laughs> uh, in the locker room 
and they said so they've got five teenage boys on one side and me on the other and the boys kept pulling the curtain back and peeking at me oh, no. and in the end I was so fed up with it all yeah I just stood there kind of in my bra and pants and uh pulled the curtain back and went now will you f off (laughs) and they said they're like that's when we knew we were going to be able to work with you all right because you didn't take any (laughs) I was like and I was like quite you know I can be quite sort of spiky and you know it's in Mm. me to tell people without any fear to do that but that was very funny so yeah that was like set the tone for right at the start but of course everywhere I went everyone thought I was a boy because I looked like a boy and I was always being chucked out of ladies' toilets for looking. They thought I was a lad. Mm. And, and, and you know, that was something as well that was restrictive for you. You weren't allowed to have your nail polish on or your makeup or your hair. <laughs> you had to sort of start adjusting all those things. But you were even a rebel with that, weren't you? You had red, yeah, red toenails. toenails. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Actually, I was quite shocked. I'd been away for a while and I, I was in... For, on holiday in France and I saw the girl there a firefighter she got long blonde hair and I was like wow you know they can wear makeup now have Mm. you know long hair so it's quite different yes I think you also made a very close friend Neil which helped things because you both loved music so that was something to talk about that wasn't laddish kind of chit chat and it wasn't girly girly either was it you got to talk about music yeah very sweet yeah um but there was a tragic accident which was actually your first real emergency so you'd done all these drills and everyone was wondering about you know when are we going to get to do a real emergency and that happened um straight yeah. after can you talk about that a little bit yeah that did we were just um so i got my old hillman avenger and dri- took some of the lads back to norwich in my car and we were following uh yeah neil was on the back of a motorbike in front of us from the other lads on the course and we drove up up the road and then all of a sudden he pulled out the chap driving the motorbike matthew caston he pulled out to overtake a lorry realized there wasn't space came back in but his giant bike he just lost it and uh yeah so it was like this instant death in front of our eyes of a, of a lad who was like the most gorgeous lad on earth and yeah it was um so we all went everyone kind of came running out of the headquarters because that was it happened just outside of the headquarters the norfolk fire service headquarters so people came running out because they heard the noise but yeah he was like dead instantly dead bless his little heart and how how does something like that as a first experience not terrify you or put you off the job you know because it's happened to somebody who's close somebody that you know it's not the stranger that you were going out to save where you could sort of disconnect yourself and your emotions a little bit and concentrate on the job how did that not affect you continuing it does affect I i think it doesn't affect you probably maybe you think the most important thing you learn is almost how to be able to know what to do if something like that happens. Mm. So kind of rather than avoiding it, it's more like if that ever happens again, I really want to know any which way I can to be, you know, to be the strongest professional I can to know, you know, my first aid and what to do wow. right. It just shows you, I think, is how you look at something you can see it as, right, I'm going to learn from this and do better or I'm going to give up and just hide away in my shell. Um, 
makes such a difference, doesn't it? It's how you decide to face things or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very, it was very hard for everybody. It really was. And um, actually, his brother came to my book signing in Norwich at Waterstones, which oh, was really touching. Yeah, yeah and I hadn't seen him for, you know, since the funeral all those years yeah. ago. Hadn't kept in touch, and he came along, and it was so lovely to see him. Yeah, he'd read the book, and he was so touched that he'd, you know, we had um, a moment to reflect on Neil, and yes, you know, it's a small, small memorial to him, really. It was beautiful. Yeah. Like you could really see his personality from the way you wrote about him. The you know how joyful he was, and how much everybody loved him, and what a loss he was. He was, he was funny. Yeah. Yeah, and when you have someone like that, the energy, he's such great energy because he kind of builds us all up, yes. you know. He was always mucking around and, yeah, I think I wrote in the book, he used to just, we used to have to do some horrible secondments. One of them was out to these farms in Norwich or Norfolk doing different jobs, you know, cleaning out barns and things like that. And it's like, oh, God, it's so dull. <laughs> but he'd, like, be there with a broom on his chin and doing like acrobatics or yeah. something <laughs> what is what is the idea behind you doing those sort of jobs is it to give you patience oh, I don't know. or Absol- what, what is it <laughs> most of them were brilliant actually to be fair most of them were absolutely brilliant we went to I think we went to a, sort of an old people's home we went to a fire extinguisher company and then different um, fire stations and yeah we can't, I think we actually developed a lot but that was the one at the agricultural college that yeah it's like no don't <laughs> and how many years did you stay um in the fire service i did about i started so i finished uh training in 83 and i think i left in about early 89 that was it mm. and then what did you do you decided to change completely well, your <laughs> your direction i did yeah, I'd, one of the chaps on who was the firefighter turned up at Thetford and uh, David Blakeney, he, he was a character and a half. So he instantly kind of, you know, who's he? He'd been in the Spanish Foreign Legion and his, um, he was, a, he was a, such an extreme character. And his mum, his mum wrote Mills and Boom books. Oh. Anyways, so he, he had, he was like one of these people who was like fast full of stories from his foreign legion days and he was still only about 30 but you know kind of compared to me he was like so much yeah. older and had so much more worldly experience <laughs> so we just sit and drink gin at his you know he's like telling these stories about these prostitutes in the spanish bars and all the stories that you'd never yes. hear from anyone apart from someone who lived that life <laughs> and it was just so interesting and then he got to a point he got a bit bored and his mum had said if she, if he wanted to go and travel he she would help him so he went off to um yeah he went to work in south america on expeditions and at the same time we started to fall in love as you do and he's like he when he started he, he left and i was like i really missed him yeah and he's like joe get married and come over here and mum will give us an income it's get like, married to who <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you just go <laughs> it's like, All right, then off I go. it sounds like he's telling you get married to someone else yeah no, it's like will you marry me kind of like crackled over the over the phone yeah. from in those days as well the phones were really difficult to get you know mm. it's really hard to get a call in and um you never really were 100 percent sure so hopefully that's what he said so yeah so we got married and off i went to uh yeah be mrs blakeney and travel oh, wow. 
like on these incredible adventures. Yeah, it's nuts, really. So what was the um, actual wedding like? Oh, it was really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great wedding in a great town on a great day. <laughs> that should have warned me, really. Oh, well, how long did that last? About three years. Mm. Yeah. And then I'd done all these, we did massive adventure travel. Um, South America, like Asia, up into Nepal, Everest Marathon helped on that. So we, and then he kind of, we, we ended up too much too young, really. And we ended up sort of splitting up. But then I was like, oh God, what am I going to do now? I was back in Thetford. Mm. And I was like, what am I going to do? I, I, <laughs> I haven't got any training. I left the fire service. It made so much fuss about me and off I went. And uh, yeah, so I ended up getting a little job in a, a, an office tower yeah. taking orders from the ladies who you know buy the bleach from the jade's fluid pa- factory mm. and that was it so I was you know, I thought, oh gosh you're gonna die but I had to <laughs> you have to eat don't you yeah. so that was that so I stayed there for a while and ended up in their buying office that's something that I loved the buying side of things and I ended up um, doing all the packaging buying like uh printed packaging buying and that took me then into a different job in a different county, sourcing products for retailers, um, containers that you might put a plant in or a vase, but where they were doing all the ranging, say at M&S or Tesco, and they'd say, right, we want a range for spring 2000 and whatever, and it's all going to be this color. And then you go off and you hunt to try and create product for them. And, and I loved all that. I loved it so much. I found my kind of place. And I ended up doing that um, with, in, in a business in 2000 with another lady, Julia Weaver, who had been one of my best uh, suppliers as a buyer. Wow. It's yeah, beautiful we had that a... you don't limit yourself, you know. You don't think, well, no, I can't do this sort of job. I was a firefighter, you know. And then you discover you have a passion elsewhere. And, and I know, you know, we have I really so many things, well. yeah, that we, we could do. That, and yeah. strengths that we do have and how are you to know if you don't sort of throw yourself out there it's lovely that you do I don't know how it happens really because you could never say there was a five-year plan yeah and even with the business it was very much Julia had been in a partnership and her part they were falling apart mm. after many years so she was struggling and that was part of the business and then I was at um, the place at Butters in um, Spalding, buying all this stuff and loving the job. And then we got a new MD came along and he's like, we were just like fighting like cats and dogs. So I'd had my own head for years, my own independence in that business. And I thought I was doing really well. And he's like, hmm, mm, and he would start criticizing me. Mm. You know, it's like, oh God. And then one day he just said to me, I fought with him and he said, you know, one of us is going to go and it's not me. And I thought, yeah, right. So that was about 2000. And I said to Julia, do you want to start a business? <laughs> and that was... <laughs> mm. Yeah. And so firefighting wasn't something you could go back to? No, not really. I felt really, really embarrassed. I hadn't even kept in touch with anyone, you know, I'd like kept my head down. And even all these years later, when I came to start researching for Firewoman, you know, that was the first time I'd actually spoken to a lot of the people I'd worked with in all those years. So, yeah, I was I was very embarrassed <laughs> about leaving kind yeah. of things. Oh, God. So how did it feel getting back in touch with them? But this time was for a book. Oh, lovely. 
yeah, it was really special actually. I didn't realize how much I cared. You know, there's a real bond that you forget, and yeah, it was instantly there. Mm. I think you you see that bond on like reality TV programs, <laughs> like I'm a celebrity, <laughs> get me out of here. They throw them yes. in there, and within like 24 hours, they feel like a family. That's right. And I think it is because you are cut off from all the other things that can busy you. Like you could be in a marriage for 20 years and not be as close because each That's of so you true. get on with your own thing, don't you? And you're not really yeah. talking to each other, watching things at different times. And But in those circumstances, you're all talking to each other. You're all connecting. You're all having to do things as a group. You have to trust each other. That changes yeah. everything. That's so true. Mm, very true. Mm. Well, did you go back to travelling? Yeah, I uh, ended up um, in 2000 with Julia. I had my business with her. And that ended up being a, like, uh, into, we evolved into a trading office from southern China. So I was ending up spending more and more time out in China and Southeast Asia and, and absolutely loving it. 2007-ish, properly, 2008, back to Thailand, back to Koh Samui to just live there. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. But I was living very as an expat, and then ultimately something happened, and I ended up finding about some of the things that actually happen, kind of in the real real land where mm. you live, like the real yes. country, yes. you know. And that's what started me on my next great thing to the <laughs> to write, because I wanted to just tell the stories of the people that I was so coming. So is that what you're writing now? No, I'd actually done some. Um, I'd ended up in in, in, in pardon me in um, in Siem Reap in Cambodia, volunteering at an NGO there, and from that started to meet loads of writers and photographers who were all kind of humanitarian people. That took me to um, going out to um, the Philippines when ta the Taliban typhoon mm -hmm. Haiyan happened. I went down there sort of for months when the, on the first flight in, took, got loads of stories from people who were living there and got those, got those published as well. But I was with a good team, a like photographer and knew what they were doing. So got those published. And then the, I went back to, so I was still all, all the time living in Cambodia. The next thing was the earthquake in uh, Nepal. So I went back into Nepal again, the first flight in and documented there. And that was when uh, the lady who uh, ran UN Women Southeast Asia got in touch and said, Joe, do you want to write for us on a commission? Mm. I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> so the bills were being paid, yeah. right? <laughs> it's like, great. So yeah, that, and that's what started me on a different path, really. And that's um, that was my passion. And then because of that kind of work, you meet kind of like-minded writers, photographers, you know, people who are working for the press. And yeah, I ended up um, doing a piece for Al Jazeera on a building in Cambodia that was like the last, and it's a huge slum, but actually it was a beautiful mm. community about to be torn down. Yeah, and then someone's like, Joe, write your story. It's like, no, I don't want to write about myself. And they're like, come on, write your story. And that's what happened. It took about four years to pitch. And yeah, so here we are with Firewoman. That's fantastic. And it's like you found another way of living that superhero life, but through writing, through documenting things that were happening. Yeah. Um, and being brave enough to see them and be there, you know, still part of 
that brave personality that you have that you know allowed you to succeed as a firefighter yeah I mean I don't feel brave because I just don't I don't fear those situations at all that's yeah. the thing I suppose brave is when you're scared of something and you do it anyway yeah yes yes that's right so I'm I'm actually really lucky because I can find some mm. those sort of things really they kind of give me such mm. great satisfaction and what sort of things do scare you then that you really feel you need need to be brave in order to do them? Oh, like kind of a quiet life is, is like one of the things that really scare me. So for me, mm-hmm. like the opportunity to kind of evolve as a person is huge. Things, things that scare me are having to go to work in a normal working environment. So I'll do anything mm-hmm. not to work for someone else, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that because people sometimes look at others and go, oh, God, they're so brave. They're so courageous. They're this. They could do anything I can't. But all of us have a weakness and fear in one area and and confidence in another. Like I can go on stage in front of a live audience or millions watching live and, and have done that with ease and don't mind making a fool of myself or saying something wrong. That doesn't scare me at all. But I would not go on a roller coaster or do a bungee jump. Exactly. Um, yeah. So they think I'm a brave person, for instance, but I'm only brave in one area and real scaredy cat in another. <laughs> and all of us are. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've all got areas like everyone would think, oh, having a quiet life is the easy route. But for you, it's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the book has taken up now a lot of your your time and your focus kind of I know you give talks and you speak now at events about your life as a as a firefighter do you feel that you are this feminist now that are in, you know is inspiring other women yeah what is it like for it's you it's like the accidental feminist but uh, <laughs> that's a good title I know it really is book. isn't it that's gonna be the next one <laughs> yeah or a podcast oh, that's like perfect I've got to write it down so don't forget it <laughs> yeah one of those you have it recorded on here <laughs> yeah thank you thank copyright you copyright it quick <laughs> thank you Rania but yeah I um I start when I when I launched Firewoman I've been out of the industry for so long as, as I explained so I hadn't really got a clue of what was happening and I was shocked genuinely shocked when I found out how few women were in fire services around the world like percentage-wise it's still probably less than 10 and that is on a good day so wow. I started a group on fire on Facebook called female firefighters of the world and so that's quite sweet because I get all these girls come on there. Some of them have been working for 25 years, you know, in in kind of Canadian forests and they're really hardcore firefighters. You've got like, mm. you've got chief firefighters on there down to the girls who are coming along. They're like, well, how, where do you know, where, how do you pee when you're on fire engine, new people? So there's everyone on that group it's a brilliant community but that really shook to me that that, that really in so many places there's still like they're they're still the new girl on on in their county some places are much better than others but essentially the numbers as a percentage are terrible so yeah I'm like Mm. and I know how much fun it was that's the that's the thing I just everyone who enjoys that job they they just love it to their core <laughs> it's like yeah. we need to share this, you know. It's like sisterhood because it's like a really great space. Yes. 
What a wonderful support to have when you are starting yeah, out to see the success stories or to, to ask That's those right. questions. Yeah, I know it's really sweet, that one. So there are other groups. There's a far, they have a UK one, there's an American one, but I thought it's made international but that that's kind of that when i see these ladies now still being yeah. the first one it's like makes me think everyone like what do we need to change they're like visible role models and so it's like <laughs> the accidental incidental visible role model feminist mm. <laughs> here she is there's nothing more joyous and you know meeting someone who starts doing that work and you know they're so happy they're so excited about it all and if they have problems, it's quite nice. Not many do, to be fair. But if they do, it's a really nice that they've got a community of sisters that they can ask quite privately. No one's going to judge mm. them, you know. But, mm. yeah, so it's a, it's a wonderful career for anyone, to be honest. But it's especially wonderful if you can crack it as a woman. And so many things can be done to help, you know, building women's abilities up, giving them confidence. There's all these fire camps over actually all over the world now girl fire camps where they take teenage girls 14 15 16 take them away for a few days in the summer holidays and teach them to be firefighters really and that you know because most of girls can do anything they just don't know they can mm. do it and they don't necessarily have the confidence to try so it's about giving them the confidence to try these things and then they've cracked it haven't they yeah, I think at school that's the sort of yes. thing they could easily Wouldn't do it be wonderful you know for career day yeah, yeah. Let let everybody try out so many yes, different kinds of yes. things, because that's when you find out. Like, oh, I'd quite like that. I, I never would have thought I know, of that's it. it. It's breaking the stereotypes, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah. Because where did they come from? Yeah. Well, you definitely did that, and Joe, thank you for inspiring so many women, whether it's accidentally <laughs> or not. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And best of luck with all the adventures that are to come that you've got probably no idea what they are because there's no five-year plan. And I love that. That's how I live my life. And what's meant to come comes. And hopefully it's just as wonderful as what yes. has passed already. Thank you, Rania. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.